Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Benji Corliss, the community manager for Black Letter Games, an independent developer and publisher based in South Wales, UK. Their current project, Damnation, the Gothic Game, a dark gothic adaptation of the cult classic gothic game, launches this spring. Benji, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? Hey, I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I think uh, I'd start off the hop. A lot of people don't realize this, but you uh, you have another job. You actually work for Games Quest, which I thought was kind of interesting when I was doing a background check on you. That's that's crazy. Yes, we bumped into we bumped into one another. Um, yeah, I, I, not recently. Um, I stopped working for them at the very end of last year. Um, but yeah, I I got into the industry by working with them. Um, I had friends who worked for the company. Um, and I've been working for them for the last uh, couple of years, helping to build their marketing and build all their new websites, their web stores and all that stuff. And it really like gave me a solid grounding in the industry. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, people that uh, watch this podcast know that uh, we've had obviously Nigel uh, on the podcast um, uh, several months ago. Uh, I've, I've used Games Quest myself for some of my games, big fan of the company. So uh, that was kind of a little cool little check mark when I was doing the kind of uh, research for this interview. I was like, oh my God, this guy works for Game Quest. This is awesome. So you're doing the social media there. Um, and then how did that kind of like, what was your background? Like, how did you get into to, to the gaming industry in the first place? So like everybody, uh, I've been a gamer for like my whole life. Yeah. Um, like everybody who you'll speak to at least. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I, I consider myself a creative individual rather than, uh, than a specifically a board gamer. Um, and as a creative individual, I pick up a lot of things. Um, so I was working in TV for a while um, and that everything just sort of branched out um, mm. and that sort of got swallowed up by my interests. Um, I was increasingly interested in uh, role play games and board games, seeing what new tabletop stuff was coming out. Um, and then that slowly got swallowed up by my film work um, and my video work. And then that sort of moved into uh, marketing because I was working online already. I was working in online space making web video. So it was a natural progression to uh, make content for Facebook, for YouTube and all these other platforms and just start interacting with people because that really is, as a creative, what you want is to make cool stuff, but then also to have other people see it and be able to interact and talk with them about it. So uh, Yeah, that's the key, I guess, eh? Is, is part that- of it. Yeah, the interaction with the audience. I know even uh, in the creation of games, right? It's one thing to have, a, like, it's an amazing moment to have a copy of a game in your hand, something you physically have created or been part of creating or developing. Um, but another thing is when you see other people play it, that's that's another level of feeling altogether. You get the feels from that one big time. So that's yeah. super cool. So how did that bridge then into uh, working on uh, with Black Letter Games? So uh, I worked on a project called Pet Evil with Games Quest um, last year, um, and I was looking to see what this year's project would be. Um, so I, I decreased working with Games Quest, um, and I was reaching out, looking for other projects, other people nearby. Um, and literally across uh, across the bridge from me um, was Black Letter Games, uh, my friend Chris. Um, and yeah, I'm looking out for projects. I'm always looking out for something that's um, interesting. I. Uh, I've been very vocal in saying that what I hate is I hate the idea of working for the big conglomerate, huge companies. I like the idea of working for people who are super creative and who need to have like a, a fire put through them. I think there's so many people in the industry who are just filled with really good ideas and are real. Um, 
are real trendsetters. Um, and Chris, uh, the designer of Foundation that I'm working on, um, is one of those people. He was reaching out looking for um, someone who could handle some of his marketing and his community stuff. Um, because basically he built this game. It was incredible. He got it basically ready to go on the table and he'd done everything himself. Um, everything except for the artwork. Uh, and he'd done such an incredible job. But it's a huge task. It's a gargantuan task to take yeah. on for one person. Um, and for his first game, he picked something that was so heavy, heavy going for just one person. Um, I was astonished. Uh, and it really blew me away when I met him. Um, I looked through the game and I had assumed that there were going to be more people working on it. Um, so I, I really wanted to sink my teeth in as quickly as I could, because when I find people that I, I really like working with, I, I don't want to let them go because I, I want to help foster their creativity as much sure. as I am. I think, and that's the misnomer, I think, in the industry, right? When you have these companies, all these independent companies doing these games, and even when you see a giant game and people are like, wow, this is massive. There must be a massive team behind it. Mm. Often when you pull back the curtain, there's like one or two people. That's yeah. it, right? It, these people are investing so much of their lives into it, yeah. putting so much of them, their souls into it. Yeah, it's an immense amount of time. It is, mm. uh, I mean, I've done what I call baby campaigns compared to some of the ones out there. And mm. the time invested in those was insane. So some of these larger ones, they can be all consuming, but again, when they're successful, uh, it is incredibly rewarding. Right. So mm. um, now this game, damnation, the God, so it, did the name change? So it was called Gothic. I was a little confused. Like, so mm. it's been kind of like an update. Is this like an old game from like the nineties has been updated mm. or what's talk to us a little bit about that kind of. So there, yeah. It's a little interesting thing that we've been we've been sort of working and tweaking with where we're going with it. Um, so basically, uh, there was a game that was made in the late '60s, um, and this game uh, has been heralded as one of the early uh, Gothic board games. Um, mm. And it supposedly is one of the first games to include uh, like PvP combat and certain mechanics. Um, I don't know how much of that is uh, official, but that's certainly what uh, has been touted for a long time. Um, and this game basically got released in the 90s and it was a big 90s hit. Um, it was referred to as uh, one of the classic games among Monopoly and uh, Cluedo and the Gothic game in the, wow. here in the UK. Um, and they had some near misses with Hasbro a couple of times and uh, it, the timing of it just didn't work out. Um, it nearly had a film adaptation. That didn't happen because Jumanji came out and like all these, it had all these delightful near misses. Um, oh, wow. But it was this really dark, quirky game that was... Um, uh, kind of like a, a talisman like where you're moving you're moving around a board leveling up uh trying to hurt the other characters and beat them to doing a thing um that that sort of classic old school like games workshop style game yeah um and it it has this beautiful odd story like it was made by this guy um robert wayne simmons who basically was a screenwriter who uh started creating some of the biggest um folk horror films here in the uk um he was a screenwriter for some of the biggest British horror movies. He had no idea about board games and created this board game uh, that really set us on fire. Um, so our designer, Chris, basically uh, played this as a kid and had a copy kicking around. Um, and he got back into board gaming as a hobby um, and found the game on his shelf and was like, oh, we should play this again. I've got all these nostalgia, all this nostalgia built up for it. Mm -hmm. And he took it and said, oh, what if we could take this and we could invest all of our love into it and what would this look like with a modern sense of horror like now that we've played the arkham card game now that we've played mansions of madness now that we've played all these big classic horror games fury of dracula like 
what does that look like updating it now like and i think talisman is a good example you see the old games workshop talisman and then you compare it to today it's it's miles ahead and we basically wanted to do the same we wanted to update all these graphics we wanted to update the mechanics that were a little bit weird and a little bit clunky we wanted to keep that weirdness but we wanted to take away the clunk um, and we wanted to basically create a sort of 2.0 version of it so we're kind of in a place that's it's not a sequel it's not quite a remake it's not quite a reboot we're we're sort of trying to define what it is so we're currently calling it damnation colon the gothic game because the gothic game is the thing that we've come from we're working with mm. robert wayne simmons um and we have a lot of his original uh ideas in the game um that we've developed and pulled through uh so we've kept that we're trying to stay away there's a game called gothic that's a video game um yeah. so we're trying to distance ourselves from gothic um to some degree uh so yeah damnation is, is where we're where we're settled and i was remarkably surprised that no one has the name damnation <laughs> so is is it like a um uh like is there a licensing deal or how how did that bridge happen so obviously the updated version is as you say 2.0 so it's a better it's an improved version of the game but it still honors and pays tribute to what came before it um you know obviously in cases like that you know the question of well okay is there licensing or like have you just re like how did that play out like how did you guys approach mm. that side of it so it's a really interesting thing um particularly for what i do because i work on so many different projects yeah it, how licensing works in the industry fascinates me because you you can't really uh copyright games mechanics um and as such it's amazing that as an industry we hold uh ip so closely i think um so we basically reached out to uh the creator of the original game to see if he held the rights he had the license um we worked with him on a deal so that we have a fully licensed game um mm. So that we we are working closely with him because we wanted to take his idea and his vision and, and move that forward. We didn't want to just uh, disrespectfully just say politely, you know, we're just going to do our own thing. Like yeah. it's important for us that we take some of the humor and the quirk from that original one. And that I think personally, I think can only come from having a properly licensed title. That was really important to us. Yeah. And I think this is what is interesting, right? So like as Rich, Rich McCray is another good example of someone that's working on a game that's kind of an update of a, of a, you know, of a classic. And part of the challenge is sometimes is even tracking down who even has the rights to yeah, that it's IP. Funny, it's funny you say that because um, if you look at the Wikipedia page uh, for the original creator, yeah. the Wikipedia page, I think, says that he lives in Spain and it's like this long. <laughs> and uh, we basically tracked him down and he's just in like this, this sort of dark corner of the country. Like uh, Chris was looking for old copies of the Gothic game online they were going for hundreds of pounds um, and he reached out, managed to find uh, the original website of the, the creator who has this like old rickety like web 1.5, like it's only just online, yeah. you know, but yeah. that relic like really kind of feeds into the narrative of this like British folk horror, like it's a bit dusty looking, like it felt like an old book that you'd found on a shelf that felt a bit like, oh, is this a bit spooky? Should we open it? Uh, and reached out to him. He was like, oh, I've got some copies. You can buy them directly from me rather than eBay. And then the relationship then then started. Um, so actually reaching out to him was this really interesting part of the journey because, like I say, I don't want to work for big conglomerates. Like it wasn't like I was a huge company reaching out and saying, "Here's a contract. Like we'd like you to sign this because we're going." You know, it was it was yeah. very much a mutual. Like we'd like to discuss ideas and kind of stuff. So how do you how do you tap into that cult following behind this game? Right. So obviously it's got a following of people that are, you know, have the, all the nostalgia of the original game. 
maybe now they're older, they're looking to get copies for themselves, give them the kids and so forth. Um, how do you, how do you tap into that? Cause I imagine there's a built-in audience you can utilize there, right. As part of your campaign. Mm. So part of what I do specifically, um, as, as someone who works online, um, my job is to look for audiences and to reach out in innovative ways. Um, I, there is no point in taking your game and just throwing it at the same board game people over and over again. It's, it's, it's pointless because they are inundated with so many products that are amazing yeah. every single day. Um, so what, what we've done is you, you take the time to go and find where that old audience is now. You, you work out the headspace of where those people would be in their life now and you go looking. Um, so for us, what we're doing is we're reaching out to the board game community because that's obviously part of a community that we're already involved with. But yeah. we're also reaching out um, and specifically looking at like alternative uh, art groups, uh, clothing groups, gothic music groups. Um, and th there's a huge community um, online for British horror specifically, British folk horror, folklore stuff. Um, and we found that there's a lot of fans who've come uh, and they've gone into that community. Um, so we're reaching out to those guys as like this, this interesting, um, slightly contrasting to what you would normally do to reach out to just normal board gaming people. Um, because for us, it's not just trying, we're not just trying to sell board games to board game people. We want to share the hobby to new people and people that maybe have played something as a kid and completely forgotten about the hobby and bring those people back, bring their families in um, and, you know, re-spark re them in the same way that when we re-found the Gothic game, we had a spark filling us. So when this game was launched, uh, so was, I think it was last year, it actually went on Kickstarter, right? And um, it, it didn't, it didn't fund right? So you guys mm -hmm. end up pulling, uh, or the team before you had pulled it before mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it kind of got to the finish line, but still raised about $12,000 in, in Canadian dollars, mm -hmm. which is not insignificant, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of campaigns out there, small campaigns who would be happy even with that. Mm -hmm. um, why is it you feel that it maybe failed that first time around? So I got brought on to work uh, with closely with the team um, after, uh, that, after that initial campaign happened. Um, so part of my job was to assess what happened and what went on there and really dive into the data. Um, and previously, I've worked with GamesQuest, where we had a similar thing happen with Pet Evil. Um, their first project went out. We launched it. We launched it during Essen, and we, we pulled the plug after it funded. It funded, and then we pulled the plug um, because wow. we realized, well, yeah, it was really interesting. We realized that it, um, though we'd reached our goal, actually, we realized that we were doing a huge disservice to the product itself and that the game could be so much bigger in terms of what was in the box, in terms of what we were doing for our audience. We didn't want to just li uh, limp over the finish line. Um, so I, that was my background. I'd come with that already. Um, so I think for Damnation, what I discovered was that um, a big key thing was just in terms of who they'd reached out to, they just hadn't taking the dive and taking the time and the dive into the community. Mailing lists are something that we talk about all the time in the mm. board game industry, how important it is to have a mailing list and build a following and a community. Um, and that's something that they, they just hadn't done for the initial campaign. They'd done a bit of it. They'd sort of scratched the surface. But it was incredible to me that there was this game that had this beautiful launch video, this artwork. Um, the artwork by our artist Hugh is mind-blowing to me. Like every single mm. thing I see, is something that I would have on a t-shirt. Like it's like a band t-shirt, every yeah. single piece of artwork. Um, and that amazed me because projects like that don't fail. <laughs> like that's just not a thing. So I immediately knew that something was going on in there a bit deeper, um, something that wasn't quite expected, that I wasn't expecting because 
what you would expect to see is the project that maybe they haven't quite baked everything you know they they haven't properly cooked up what their miniatures will look like what their stretch goals will look like all that stuff was in place like it was a full campaign everything was there the game was ready to go which really really surprised me um but that's how i knew i wanted to work with chris i, I knew i wanted to work with our designer because he has put so much love in has it all ready to go what he needed was the community he needed the people he needed the interactions um he just needed to get it in front of people um and have like we said at the very beginning of this put the game in front of people and it becomes a new thing it becomes something more when other people interact with it that's that's the medium it's it's not something that we just create for ourselves even if you created a solo title just for one person you would give that to somebody else and they would play it so same but contemporary right exactly exactly I have, uh, for people that are watching the podcast, we'll try to be as descriptive as possible for those who are actually listening, but um, I do want to share the original Damnation, um, the Gothic game uh, Kickstarter page mm. as we kind of talk through the game, because I think the visuals are beautiful, right? They are. I mean, it, there's no doubt about that. I think the board setup and so forth, um, it, it's, it's interesting for people to see. Um, so if you're cool with that, um, I'm going to do that while we chat. Um, can you explain, let's get into this game, explain mm. like how you played this game, what the basic essence of it is, um, just kind of paint the picture for people as to what this game is all about. So I'm going to provide a very British thing right now. What we, <laughs> what, what we have put together is something that is a love letter to the original, but also a love letter to classic British games. Um, I mentioned Games Workshop titles before. This is a love letter to those. So our, our game, Damnation, the Gothic game, is specifically a brutal player versus player combat game. There really aren't many of those anymore. Um, no. And we wanted to lean into this genre that doesn't really exist anymore. In a world of all these co-op titles, we specifically wanted a game where, yes, players are fighting against one another. Um, our player team enter Dracula's Castle, and they're exploring Dracula's castle and its various rooms, um, looting some of the rooms, interacting with characters around the rooms, avoiding traps. Um, and as you go through Dracula's castle, our team are trying to not only fight each other, um, but fight Dracula and can summon Dracula and can play as Dracula to then start murdering the other, uh, the other players, um, which has this really interesting mechanic as you sort of uh, switch bodies and take over and become far more powerful as Dracula while trying to protect your own body. Um, so yeah, so, we, we wanted to lean into this player versus player combat. We wanted to lean into the idea of horror. We wanted to lean into a game that was scary to play and evoked feelings of, uh, evoked feelings of fear when you're playing, when you flip over cards, when you explore a new space. So a couple of things. One is um, the artwork is, is impressive. I mean, I think there was one thumbnail and it might even change since then, but it says 130 unique cards Mm -hmm. And these aren't like for people listening, these aren't cards just with some text on it. Like these are like full on imagine like uh, a unique poster for each and every one of those cards. It is um, it's like a graphic novel spread out into a bunch of little cards, which I think is pretty nice. I mean, it's it, it is it is very, very high quality. The topographical board, we can see the different rooms There's a spiraling staircase, for instance, and I guess the essence you're chasing each other around this board, right? So you're through this mansion, you can go into rooms. I guess there's some safety in some of the rooms, but if you're in the hallway, you can straight on attack somebody either with weapons or, or so forth. Mm -hmm. Is that how that kind of works? Yep. And you can lay traps one another. Uh, there are various 
magical components where you can uh, take control of other people's bodies to move them through traps or into less safe areas. Um, we, we specifically have kept in something from the original game that was really controversial, which is player elimination. We kept in an element that most games would have thrown aside because for us, that was something that was really important as a quirk of the original game. Mm -hmm. So players can kill one another and knock each other out of the game. Um, but we've developed mechanics so that when your character dies, you get to haunt spaces um, and you still have some sense of agency once you're eliminated, but the other players are still playing, you still get to affect the game. Um, and then obviously we come to Dracula himself, which is the ultimate affecting of the game, uh, where you get to be supercharged, basically, to go around hunting the other players rather than just jostling for, uh, for ownership of the board. You get to literally go and hunt them. And his character is so powerful, everybody has to run in fear to the other parts of the board until he goes back into a slumber. So how do you become Dracula? So how does a player change into Dracula? So Dracula has a specific part of the board. He has a vault that you have to find. Okay. Um, and you you basically need to access the vault. Um, and when you enter the vault, uh, you, you switch into Dracula um, and then Dracula leaves the vault and starts taking over. So your players can play in different, there's a lot of different play styles. Um, but one of the play styles is to specifically try and find Dracula as quickly as possible so that you can start just tearing through everybody else. Um, and some other players will specifically, knowing that, will specifically play to just avoid Dracula at all costs and just sit at the edge of the board in as much safety as possible and let the other players just become the lambs. So can more than one person become Dracula in a game or is there only one Dracula per game? Uh, yeah, so there's, there's only one Dracula at any time, um, but that can be taken over by other players. In the same game? In the same game. Oh, nice. So there's opportunities for other people to wreak havoc on, uh, on their, mm -hmm. on the compatriots. And then, um, the other thing I thought was really interesting was that you have this kind of four different play variants. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, that whole kind of segment on different ways to play the same game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that, that's something that we've actually been developing since the original campaign a lot. Um, one of the things that we really wanted to put in was just as much value as we physically could into the box. Um, so we've been working on different play variants. Um, those aren't fully all finalized now, um, but there will be when our campaign goes live. Um, we've been working on a variant for uh, solo play, for example. Um, we basically wanted to make it so that experiences every time you play could be something different. We wanted to make sure that there was as much experience put into the box and that there was as much variation as possible because we, we knew that a lot of people would see our game based on an old roll and move combat game and say, is this just going to be the same every single time we play? So the variants were really important for us to show that there are there's so much going on, there's so many moving pieces that no two games tell the same story. No two sets of cards are gonna flip the same way. And you can have teams, right? So the teams can go after each other. So you can just split up into two equal teams and do like that's a versus. And yep. So that's another variant that we're working on as teams. Um, yeah, like I say, at, at the moment we're focusing on our uh, the solo variant is the one that we really want to push over the edge um, yeah. because that's a huge thing. Um, but yeah, teams. Um, the main one, the main core game um, is player versus player versus player. Um, so we're taking uh, with the original campaign was two to six players. Um, we're hoping that for our next campaign, we'll be going from one to six players um, in various different variant forms of team play, all be all, et cetera. So this, this campaign uh, launches sometime in the spring. Um, what is determining the launch date for you guys? So how, like, so as you're getting into kind of 
revamping this campaign. I'd like to get into some of the learnings you've had that you're going to vamping. carry into. The- Lovely, vamping. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, pun intended. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, what what are you what are you guys doing to narrow down that date? Like, is it's not obviously arbitrary. There's something specifically you're trying to get to before you anchor that date. So, what is that? Mm-hmm. So we, we, we have got a set date. We're just wanting to make sure that everything is firm. Um, our game is ready to go with, we're, we're oven, oven ready is the term that I've feel hesitant to use here in the UK. But um, what, what we basically wanted to do is we wanted to hit the new year. We knew that Brexit was coming up. Um, we knew that the industry itself uh, was going to be in an interesting place because of COVID. So we basically wanted to take these first couple of months and go very easy um, because we wanted to check that new EU regulations weren't going to affect our backers too much because we knew that that was going to have a big impact. And likewise, COVID wasn't going to completely decimate the industry. We wanted to make sure that Kickstarter was the right platform, you know, in this COVID world that we're currently in. Um, and likewise, our infrastructure was was safe. So we're currently still shoring that up. Um, we've just released uh, the, the tentative date that we're going to be releasing in sort of early spring. Um, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be firming that up further and further. So we'll be giving month and day and so on very, very soon. Now the UK got absolutely slammed with, mm. uh, with COVID. How mm. has that impacted the industry in your mind? Is it, is it increased people's playing of games because now they're cooped up and having to entertain themselves or are you seeing an impact industry? Because usually these were situations, at least I know in Canada, where you go to places to play games with other people and socialize and so forth, where you don't have that opportunity now. So how have you personally seen this as impacted? industry well i mean hugely as it has all over the world obviously um for us as uh, as a country we were just starting to get into a culture of board game cafes that was in, starting yeah. to increase and that that suddenly got its door firmly closed in its face um we really have a long history of having uh, board game clubs here in the uk um people who meet up regularly for uh, on board called like big groups um these huge sort of conventions and stuff we have a lot of that uh, so I think having that taken away and shifted online, we've seen huge increases of tabletop simulator being used, which yeah. is, is incredible. Um, and and the, obviously the other variants of that. Um, I, I think time will tell to see what happens when everyone emerges from their houses. That We had a huge boom initially when mm. everyone went into lockdown one. Um, I'm, from what I've seen, a lot of people have been buying couples games. I know that things like Pandemic and stuff have done really, yeah. really well, which is fantastic because I absolutely adore those games. Um, and yeah, it, it's been interesting because I think the industry was already moving into accept couples games a bit more, the fogs of, fog of love of the world, that, those sorts of things. Um, so I think there's been a lot more of that as people have been locking in. Um, yeah. But I think now we're getting into like lockdown three there's been an increase in uh, online role-playing as well. I've seen a lot of that. People reaching out because they're, they're just wanting that human interaction. Um, Jackbox so games is taking exactly, off, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think role-play games as well. I know that um, I know a lot of people have been reaching out to old D&D groups and various other online things, which I, I think is great because it reconnects you to not just the people that you were hanging around with the first, you know, before COVID, but the people that maybe you haven't seen in a very long time because you're like, oh, my old gaming buddies, I wonder what they're doing, you know? Um, but the question is whether or not it shifts to video games. I think that's the that's the some the big scare in the room for me. Yeah, I think that certainly with a lot of my colleagues I've talked to in the industry, there seems to be more of a desire to ensure that there is a single or solo you know version uh, mm. of the game, right? So in the past, you would either do a solo game or you'd create like kind of a two player plus game. Mm where I'm starting to see a lot of developers saying, okay, this was originally a two player plus game, but you know, we got this massive 
um, group of people they're looking for solo variants of games why don't i build that in from the from the get-go uh, mm-hmm. to ensure they're recovering those people off which i think is great so you know often when these things happen it forces change right and it forces evolution in industries and and often those those evolutions are, are a positive thing in your yeah. case have you guys uh, do you are, is there a tabletop version or a tabletopia that people will be able to play prior mm-hmm. to this campaign launching or yeah, yeah, we have a, we have a tabletop simulator version. Um, we've actually over Christmas been working on. I think I can spoil this. Uh, we've been working on some expansion content. We've oh, been cool. using that to playtest um, uh, new cards and stuff. So we're hoping that people will be able to come uh, and join us with the last sort of outreach stages of that. Um, but yeah, we have a completely functioning version with our glorious artwork um, that people can come play with us. Oh, that's cool. So if someone wants to follow this campaign, because obviously we're a few months out and people don't want to forget, right? That this is, how best do they kind of link in and find a way to kind of be notified or, or, you know, be reminded when this campaign is ready to go live? So we have a few things. Um, first and foremost, uh, we have a mailing list. We're very keen on our mailing list. I mentioned mailing list earlier. It's a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, our website, blackblettergames.com has mailing list where you can hear all the latest updates. Um, for all the various things that we're doing. Um, secondly, uh, we have all the social media where we're posting stuff out. For me, interacting with the community is about giving. So if you go to our Instagram page, you can see our art being created in various stages. We've got sketches to oh, nice. inks to colors going all the way through for our artwork. We've got Spotify playlists that people can check out for playing board games online. So if you want to find us on social media, we're Black Letter Games almost everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, like I mentioned. Um, but the, the third one um, is we'll, we'll have our pre-link uh, for our Kickstarter campaign um, when before we're ready to go live. So we'll send that out to you guys um, so people can find that through you. Oh, awesome. So what we'll do with the board game binge is um, uh, either, you know, if it's sooner rather than later, we'll attach it to the show notes of this actual mm-hmm. uh, podcast. If not, then we can always send out on our uh, our Facebook uh, group page. We'll send out a link to people so they can follow the preview link. I think this is a cool game. I love the whole idea of the nostalgia behind it and bringing kind of something old back and contemporizing it and making it new for a, a whole nother generation, I think is, is just awesome. So congratulations to you guys for putting this thing together. And quite frankly, for hopping on board yourself uh, with Black Letter Games and help them get this thing across the finish line. Because I think there's a lot of people that really, really want this game. Um, Thanks so much. And, uh, you know, Benji, uh, I know um, I might run into you at the Games Quest side as well, because as you know, we use Games Quest. Uh, but I just want to wish you all the best this coming year and the best of success. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking your time and for being so careful and giving to the industry. It means it means a lot to me to find other people who have got a like mind. So oh, no worries. Thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> all right. You take care. Cheers. Uh, all the best. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.